Good morning. Welcome to Grace. I'm Pastor Ryan. This week, we tragically lost a precious member of our church family to a car accident. In light of the temporality of these lives and the reminder of unplanned tragedies, we must make sure that we, as followers of Jesus Christ, are singularly grounded upon the unshakable nature of our God for true hope and peace. Thanks for joining us today as we take a walk through Psalm 62 and look at the earthquakes of this life. While Emily and I were away on the island of St. Martin, we uh, saw something that we were not accustomed to seeing uh, at other places in the Caribbean. It was a sign that was posted in our classroom. Uh, we taught at uh, the largest uh, Christian academy. It was a high school on the island. and. We were up on the third floor, and there inside the classroom was this posting for earthquake procedures. Earthquakes. Uh, there's a fault line that runs very nearby. Uh, some of you remember the tragedy of the earthquake in Haiti a few years back and uh, just the devastation that that caused. Now, I kind of grew up without earthquakes. Like, I don't quite know what to do, but I, somewhere in the back of my mind, was this idea that if you start to feel an earthquake, you should go to the doorway, you know, like the, the beam between the doors right there. Anybody else with me? Is that somewhere in the back of your mind? A handful here? Well, here on this sign, it said, don't go in the doorway. <laughs> That's the one place you shouldn't go. And uh, as I did a little bit more research on that, it turns out that some just building methods are different, especially in multi-story buildings where you are, you really shouldn't be in the doorway. You want to be as far from any um, exterior walls as you can. You want to be far from anything that could fall down on you. Um, and there are actually some places where you do have those multi-storied buildings where they build these specific areas, fallout shelters. And they're marked with these triangles and, and uh, indicated as such so that if you feel the world start to move and shake, that's where you need to go. It's interesting as we were looking at that, had there been an earthquake that we didn't read that sign, we might have been in trouble. Because here's the deal with earthquakes. You need to be ready before it shows up. Get that? You, you, you need to be prepared before the earth starts to shake, knowing where the shelter is. You don't want to start looking for it once, uh, and trying to figure out once the world starts moving. It's not get ready, it's be ready. Our world is going to be filled with spiritual earthquakes, emotional earthquakes, mental earthquakes, and they will come out of nowhere. We've got pretty good warning systems for some other disasters, right? You have tornado warnings, right? Doppler radar, hurricanes, days in advance. Pandemic warnings, we've all been through that. Even forest fire warnings when they're working the way they're supposed to. Even your cars now have these little alarm systems for pre-collision. You ever see those? We're, we're backing up out of the driveway. Beep, 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 and there's like a car two blocks away coming. And like my car's warning me. But there's no warning for an earthquake. And the difficulty of an earthquake is that it upends everything that you thought was stable. It's not some form outside uh, a disaster that's attacking you. It is attacking the very stability that you thought you had. 
And so without warning, and with this direct attack upon that which you thought was firm, if you and I are not prepared, we'll find ourselves out of sorts and reeling. We'll find ourselves crumbling in the rubble. And God wants you to know that there is a place that he provides that never shakes. That's going to be our scope and our study for this morning. As this message is drawn out of Psalm 62, I invite you to turn there. The occasion for this is obviously the recent tragedy in our church family, one to which my own heart has been rent, but I don't need any of your attention. It's the family of Jeff Jackson that we pray for. And so as all of us have had the rug pulled out, so to speak, all of us in some way have felt the earth shake. I remember praying with Amy at the hospital with Sarah Adams, who was there that night. It feels unreal. It feels like this is a movie. When, uh, Amy said, when am I going to wake up? And the earth just kept shaking. That's a difficult thing with tragedy too, because with like earthquake, there are aftershocks that catch you again when you're not prepared for them. So what do we do with this? Like that, that's the reality, folks. If you, if you haven't experienced this form of earthquake, spiritual or mental or emotional in your life yet, if you haven't seen it, it I guarantee you it's going to come at some point. So how can you and I prepare ourselves? Psalm 62, David is going to give us a glimpse. Uh, as we read through it, uh, my plan for this morning is to begin by just unpacking some of the nuances of the context for Psalm 62, and then just two main conclusions that will lead us to some self-reflection this morning. Psalm 62, David writes, My soul finds rest in God alone. My salvation comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will never be shaken. How long will you assault a man? Would all of you throw him down this leaning wall, this tottering fence? They fully intend to topple him from his lofty place. They take delight in lies. With their mouths they bless, but in their hearts they curse. Selah. Find rest, O my soul, in God alone. My hope comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. My salvation and my honor depend on God. He is my mighty rock, my refuge. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. Low-born men are but a breath, and the high-born are but a lie. If weighted on a balance, they are nothing. Together they are only a breath. Do not trust in extortion, or take pride in stolen goods. Though your riches increase, do not set your heart on them. One thing God has spoken, two things have I heard, that you, O God, are strong, and that you, O Lord, are loving. Surely you will reward each person according to what he has done. All right, in this psalm, there really are three main sections or stanzas that it works through, but I'd like to just clarify a few contextual issues um, that even my NIV and perhaps your Bible as well, I think, miss. This is the problem with the translation in English 
is that we have to do our best to take a genre of literary form called poetry and update it into English so that we can understand it. Um, And so just just remember, the same way that any poem that you read is going to be speaking to you with images and symbols, conveying meaning through emotion and meaning, that's the same thing that we have going on here. And the first place that I think needs a bit bit definition, in verse 1 and in verse 5, the text says, Find rest, or my soul finds rest in God alone. Um, This word for rest is not like a nap. It's not that kind of rest. Uh, this word for rest is, is meaning the opposite of anxiety. That's what that word rest means. Uh, it means security. It means peace. It means safety. My soul finds this calm is a better understanding of what's going on there. So as we're, as we're looking through uh, trying to understand this, I also want to point out to you verses 1 and 2 are the chorus of this song. They show up again in verses 5 and 6. So the repetition of this idea, find rest in God alone, for you and I needs to be understood the way the psalmist meant it, which is find peace in God alone. Find your security in God alone. Find that which gives you comfort and that calm in the midst of the earthquake in God alone. Uh, The second part I want to unpack for you comes from verses 3 and 4. So this is the occasion for David's writing. Uh, What's happening here in this psalm is that there are a band of individuals who seek to dethrone King David. David is the king, and he has individuals, men around him, who are duplicitous. They say one thing, they're, 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 they're pretending to be on his team on one side, but on the other side, they're really not. They, they want to see him torn down. The image that we are given in verse 3 is that of a leaning wall or a, t- a tottering fence. Um, translators have struggled to try to make sense. Is this talking about the attackers or is this talking about uh, the writer? Uh, it's the writer he's talking about, but in a unique contextual way. So here's the idea. The king is in charge. Yes, that makes sense. Like the king rules. Those who are a part of the kingdom have to listen and follow the king. So there's this boundary around the king's authority. But David is struggling. And so that wall, that boundary, he calls it like this fence, this wall that's leaning uh, when I was a kid, my, uh, we had some neighbors down the road, uh, three boys. Um, the youngest was close to my age, and the two older ones, um, they knew how to get into mischief. They did. And I remember that there was this one time I was over there, and I was, I was a good kid, Mom. I, I didn't have any problems with me, but it was them. Uh, and there was this fence that we weren't supposed to cross but the fence was leaning so that if you just you could kind of climb up on it and your weight as you climbed up on it brought it lower so that you could jump over the fence that's what david is saying his heart is like his heart as the king is like i don't know if i can do my job right being the king right now having this authority and this boundary is exhausting i'm not sure i can do it that's i'm leaning here and what these men want to do tear it down They just want to tear it down and they want to go and claim whatever authority or honor or um, even riches, as we'll find out, belong to David. And so that's the occasion for what's happening here. Evil men are seeking to dethrone him. Uh, As I mentioned already, verse 5 and 6 are a repetition. 
Uniquely, though, because verses 1 and 2 match verses 5 and 6, there's a little phrase that comes right after that. I want you to know the very center of this psalm is in verses 7 and 8. Now, I don't want to unpack that just yet. We're going to come back to that. But I, I want you to know that is the center. That's the heart of this entire psalm. So we're going to come back to that in, in a minute. Uh, if you look down a little bit further, verses 9 and 10 are a recall back to the consequence and implication of these evil men. I haven't lost you guys yet, have I? We're just unpacking the psalm. That's all we're doing right now. Verses 9, uh, low-born men and high-born men. Um, that's another, your, your Bible may be different on that. I think the translators might have mistaken this. It's just speaking about mankind. So it's not really intending to make a comparison to those who are rich and poor. We have the same Hebrew words used in another psalm where that's what that psalmist means. So they're carrying that idea over here, but it's really just mankind. Like what? Basically, wherever you find yourself, you're a breath. What, what, wherever you find yourself, whatever you would claim authority for yourself is a lie. It's, it's a mist. It's like vapor. Uh, the word here at the end of verse 9 says, together they are only like air. That's it. If you were to weigh them, there's nothing. Now, do, do people act that way? Do we, do we even sometimes think of ourselves that way? We're, we're pretty easy to put ourselves high on that pedestal. But th- this is the reality. This is what's going on. And then David writes, don't trust in... Uh, three things that he mentions here. So uh, they're all the same, extortion, goods, and riches. Um, uh, I believe David's insight here is that this is part of the motivating reason why these men are attacking David. What are they interested in? Cheddar. Money. Yeah. We don't struggle with that in America, right? That's not, that's an old problem, right? Not not problem. Um, This, again, is that insight into what was going on. Lastly, verses 11 and 12, uh, they conclude, they wrap up the psalm. It starts with a a Hebrew idiom uh, that's referred to as a numerical saying or a a graded numerical sequence. You see this throughout Hebrew poetry. Uh, There are three things, no four that the Lord hates. There There are five things, no the six things that the Lord detests. So same idea here. One thing God has spoken, two things I've heard. It's a, it's a poetic way of showing emphasis. That's, that's what's happening here. Uh, again, be careful you're not trying to like read literally that what God said one thing and there's two things. No, nope, this is just, this is for emphasis. It's to clue you in. We're getting to the important, po- important point. Um, and so the character of God is shown. He's strong, he's loving. And then just the very last line, I think my NIV also kind of gets wrong. Uh, The NIV says, surely you will reward each person according to what he has done. I think that that's intended to sound good. but That's not the way David wrote it. David's writing that to say that God is going to bring the unjust to account. You you will be rewarded. You get the point? Yeah, so not not in a good way. So uh, just just as we're reading this, if you were to get to the end of it and be like, oh, God's going to give me all my rewards for the good things. I've, you've missed the point of the psalm. That is not what David is aiming at. David's final uh, ending to this psalm is a recognition of the strength and goodness of God to hold the wicked to account. All right. 
that gets us through the whole thing. So, so what do we do with this? I want to give you some observations and conclusions. Number one is this. Living in this world means that you will be shaken. Living in this world means that earthquakes are going to happen to you. They're going to come. Contextually for David, that was seen with the people who will fail you and the riches that will deceive you. Right? That, that's, the, that's the context in, in Psalm 62 where that's born out true for David. Right? Living in this world means that there are going to be people who are going to lie to you or people who are going to fail you. Your money is going to fail you. But there's a larger picture than this. Because you live in a world that has been cursed because of sin, everything has potential to fail you. This world is going to be shaken. If you have hung any of your rest or your perception for security and safety on the things of this world, you better watch out. That doorway ain't going to hold. And so, so what does this mean? Well, I, I want to show you in other places where this is true. Psalm 20, verse 7. Some people trust in chariots, some in horses. But we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Jesus says in Matthew 24, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. So I want you to know that by virtue of living in this world, it is going to shake So be ready for the earthquake. Be ready, church. Be ready. Don't plan to read the sign once things start to shake. You and I need to be ready now. And how do we do that? We do that by knowing the correct shelter. You and I have to know where to find protection and safety and rest. Everybody with me on that? Simple, easy enough observation. Everything in this world will be shaken. That's it. So therefore, be ready for that earthquake because there's no warning when it's going to show up. Secondly, then, God will never shake. I thank you for that. Amen. God will never shake. And furthermore, he will set every wrong right. This is, this is the beauty of our God. So when your world starts to shake, you and I need to remember, ah, I, I'm standing in my refuge because I have grounded my feet upon his word and his promises. So I'm not shaking. Even though the earthquake is happening, I'm not shaking. And the thing that gives me hope in the midst of that earthquake is that whatever evil I'm facing, Whatever has come across that is not part of God's good design, he sees it. There's no hiding from God. And what that means for you and I is that we don't have to take up recourse and revenge upon ourselves. The Bible says in Romans chapter 12, leave room for God's wrath. It is mine to repay, says the Lord. Why is that good news? Well, because sometimes when our world starts to shake, we are trying so hard to put the cupboards back where they go and the cups up on the wall and we're trying to keep everything where it is. It won't work. It won't work. But God will set every wrong right. I want to show you where these promises show up. Romans chapter 8, Paul says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, 
but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and the glory of the children of God. This is a really good one. Revelation 21. John records, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. He will wipe away, this is verse 4 now, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He, He sees it all. God sees it all. And so this is critical. Like I I can explain Psalm 62 to you and I this morning, right? I I can get us to the point where this is true. But what do we do with that? This is really your part in it. So you need to set your hope singularly on him who is strong and loving. Uh, If you look in the text again, you need to circle these words. My soul finds rest in God, what? Alone. My salvation comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will never be shaken. By the way, it's, it's such a great word. It's not just uh, I'll never be shaken as if God gave you some cement pillar to stand on. This word is fortress. Fortress. It's a castle. Like, God is not just this little rinky-dink fallout shelter. So much better than that. He is, he is a rock-solid, highly exalted, fortified, walled castle for you and I. Again in verse 5, my find rest, O my soul, in God alone, singularly. Now, thankfully, we didn't have any earthquakes in St. Martin. But if we did... Again, we've already covered I would be in trouble. I'd also be tempted to go and probably save my computer or go and fix something else. What's the problem with that type of foolishness? I have misplaced the greatest priority, right? Have you ever seen anything like this where somebody goes back into the burning building or somebody goes back in when they shouldn't? Like, listen, if your heart is divided, if you have hope in this and in that, you are going to find yourself among the rubble. And you can't plan to make this decision in your heart and mind once the earth starts shaking. You need to be prepared now. And so there, I've said it a bunch of times, but I can't do this. You, you have to do this. And so for a bit of a a shorter message, here's the centerpiece of it from David in Psalm 62, verse 7 and 8. Make God your abundance and pour out your heart to him. Look with me in verses 7 and 8. As he's repeated the singular nature of our hope in him. Verse 7 says, My salvation and my honor depend on God. I've I got to explain that line a little bit because, again, I think my, my NIV has soft-pedaled it a little bit. It's not that my salvation and my honor, as though there is this like, ooh, look at me, like... Someone's going to pat you on the back and you're like, oh, all glory to God. Like, all gl-. That is not what this means. The, the word for honor is the word for glory, to, to be esteemed. It's the same word for abundance. Like, what is the thing that you treasure? That's the word that's used here. It, it, this is not some way of God approving you so that you have a little bit more accolade than the person sitting next to you. That's not what this verse means. 
And, and not that that depend on God. It's saying that that's what God is. God is my glory. God is my abundance. There is nothing on earth that I desire before you. He- heaven and earth have no treasures that compare to you. I singularly find my abundance in you. Does that make sense? You guys get, you get this? That's what that verse means. He is my mighty rock and my refuge. So what do you do in verse 8? Oh, you trust in him at all times. I kind of wish there was a better word there. That's a tough one, isn't it? We got this, our family go, go for a walk next to our house and there's this like rock wall that starts out this high and by the time you walk another 30 feet, it's way up here. And of course, my kids love to get on that wall and as we're walking on the normal height, they're going higher and higher and higher till Sadie finally discovers this is a little too high. And so I'm there and I say, jump, I'll catch you. And she doesn't want to jump. This is too high now. Look at, look at these muscles. Look at, I say, I'm going to catch you. Like, you think I'm going to drop you? Come here. She's not going to jump. Why? Well, she's got to go back down and get a little bit lower. But why is that hard? Why is it hard? Because it's an issue of trust. It's an issue of trust. You are going to face an earthquake. If you're not in one now, you will be. And in that moment, this is what you do. You trust in God at all times. And look at this next part. Pour out your heart to him. For our God is our refuge. Peter says, cast your cares upon him because he cares for you. Now, I probably lost half of you here, especially the men. Pour out, pour out your heart. Yeah, I don't know about that one. <laughs> yeah. what's, your, what's your prayer life look like, fellas? And some ladies, too. Like, isn't it true? Sometimes this is kind of what we do going through life. Uh, Lord, thanks for the day. That's it. That was my heart. Poured it out. That's all. Really. That's all that's in there. I I want you to know you may be so fortunate that your foundation doesn't shake that often that you haven't ever really been trained how to do this. Because those whose worlds are shaken, they know how to pour their hearts out. You know what I'm talking about? Anybody who has gone through that moment where it's like, it's crumbling. It's all crumbling. Do you know what they do? Yeah, they know how to pour their hearts out. I'm telling you, get better at it now. Get better at it right now. Practice this as a form of your preparation for when that day arrives. And so here are a couple of questions I want to ask you. You've got to be honest now. Again, if you don't answer these, I don't know why you're here listening to me. You might as well leave. But How ready are you right now? For your world to be shaken. I put in the sermon notes. Do you see it? A little scale one to ten. Go ahead. Answer it. Put, put a circle. How ready are you right now for your world to be shaken? Let me give you a warning. Some of you out there wanted to circle ten. <laughs> really? You're a ten. All right. God may test that. So that's just a little warning. I would not encourage you to put ten. But I would encourage you to be honest with wherever you're at on this. I'm not a ten. I know, I know the distractions in my life, the own deception of my heart, my own immaturity to think that things are fine and they'll always be fine, have left me unprepared as I should be. And so 
I'm here to preach this sermon to me in front of you. It's my own sermon, so I need to answer that too. I dare you to answer it. Are you ready right now? How ready are you right now? And so my question following that is to ask you, what would it really look like for you to pour your heart out to God? Make this, if it isn't already, make this some component of your Christian walk. Do you have a place that you can go? Do you have a sacred space in your home or, or maybe a, a road? Um, do you have a place where you can just go and you can just pour out your heart? Talk to God. If you, if you don't, you should. And if for you it's a, well, God, what's up with you today? I'm good. All right, we're good. If that's what it is, get better at this. Talk to him like a friend. Talk to him as though he is the Lord. He is the king. For David, that's what David is seeking to do here. And there's, there's a second component that comes after this. Is how, this is my next question. How singularly are you therefore abiding in him alone? Right, so I got another scale of one to ten. Like, where, where are you at on that? If, you, if you're good on the first one, yeah, I feel like I'm confident right now. Well, maybe there's a little bit more diagnosis that needs to happen in your heart and mind. Because maybe there are some other things that you're clinging to. You remember the story of Job? We heard kind of the end of it in our reading today. Was Job ready? Let me ask an easier question. Was he, was he a righteous man? Yes. Job was in no way ready. God was shaking his world. God was doing this. Because what that does is the writer of the book of Hebrews shows us is it helps us to see that everything in this life can be shaken and is temporary. But God can never be shaken. His kingdom will never be shaken And that is what you and I are inheriting. Boy, we need to take that with seriousness and not with duplicity. Not with God plus blah, blah, blah. My work, my job, my career, what other people think of me, my possessions, my health, my money, my house, my future plans. There's a lot that you can add to that list. And so I don't know what's on your list, but that's a question I would offer to you. What is the greatest counterfeit refuge in your life right now what is that thing that is going to try to insert itself for you to rely on when the world starts to shake because that's a deception you and i will not get an answer to the question why is this happening to me you won't get an answer to that but david gives us a better answer did you see how he ended do you see the end of it verse 11 and 12 One thing God has spoken, two things I've heard. That you, O God, are what? You are strong. This is what you need to know when the earth starts shaking. God is able. God is able. He is mighty. He is strong. He he could stop it like that. He could fix it like that, but it's not. It's still shaking. You need to know that there's a reason then. There's something that's happening that I don't understand. I do not get an answer to the question, why? I do get an answer to the question of who? Who is in charge of this? Someone who is strong, and then secondly, someone who is what? What's your Bible say? Loving. He is good. 
He is good. And he concludes, that that was a two for one there for David, because he concludes with that last line that everybody will get rewarded for what they've done, right? Meaning that God sees it. He sees the earthquake that you're in. He sees what's happening. You can trust him with that. And so my challenge to you this morning is to give some evaluation over our own preparedness. If you think that there's some doorway that's going to save you, you may find out, like we learned, uh, that's, that's really going to actually be terrible for you. Uh, you need to find the right shelter and you need to be prepared now. And so let us agree with the psalmist that we will find peace in our souls when we cling to God alone for our hope comes from him. Amen. Amen. Will you pray with me?